0: Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there is Steve. Hello. And today we are continuing our look at the career of Denny O'Neill with probably the most famous character he had his hand in, and that would be...
1: Batman. (laughs) Well,
0: I I think we read the wrong books that should have been reading the tick. We are, of course, talking about O'Neill's run on... Batman. Uh, we are talking about four issues or five, technically.
1: Five. Yeah. Because there's a, a tech in there as well.
0: Uh, O'Neill's run on Batman lasted a lot longer than his run on Green Arrow and Green Lantern.
1: And his impact on Batman
0: lasted longer. Yes. Uh, on. Green Arrow and Green Lantern. Uh, so... We kind of randomly selected five issues of between Detective Comics and Batman. Four of them are Batman and one is Detective Comics. Uh go ahead and run down the issues we're gonna look at, Steve.
1: Sure. Uh so we'll go numbers in order of publishing. Uh Detective Comics three ninety five, which is the secret of the waiting graves, which was uh I guess considered his first well it was his first Batman thing but also had the greatest impact of any comic um, he had previously done uh, then I cheated and may have um, read uh, the prequel to daughter of the demon called into the den of the death death dealers just wow. so you you know um, and we then we we did uh, Batman two two seven, which talks about, um, well, uh, some some black women that live in a townhouse.
0: <laughs> that it's was a great the, show. I like that show. I know
1: uh, it's the Demon of Gothos Mansion. Uh, one of my personal favorite Batman stories. Um, then of course Batman two thirty two, which is da- Daughter of the Demon. And then uh, one of the best Toothpaste stories ever written, Batman 234, um, The Return of Toothpaste. Twice as evil, twice as dangerous. And then uh, we rounded off with um, Batman uh, 262, which is the Scarecrow's Trail of fare.
0: Yes. Now, one of the things that O'Neill is given credit for uh, is reinventing Batman. But to hear Denny O'Neill talk about it, because there is a small mini-series on DC Universe called The Batman, and it's a six-part mini-series. It's probably about maybe 45 minutes long altogether, and they do interviews um, with Adams and O'Neill. O'Neill first, and then Neil Adams. To hear O'Neill talking about it, he doesn't really consider himself reinventing the character. He just kind of went back to the roots of Batman and reinstilled that sense of gothic drama into it and a lot more mystery. Uh, I in, agree. Up until this point, uh, you, know, you had the Adam West series had just gotten cancelled. And the Adam West series was really kind of based around the wacky crime escapades of various clownish characters within Gotham and some of the Bizarre
1: science fiction style adventures. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like a hit Batman of the 60s. It was kind of Austin Power-ish. you had Batman was kind of like a a, a celebrity, mm-hmm. right? Who ran around solving crimes. Right. Climbing up the side of buildings, running into Liberace. Yep, yep. I that know. kind of thing. I mean, was- we've all seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we've
0: all seen it. The ba- the window cameos were a big popular thing.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know it, it was it was definitely a '60s phenomenon, uh, very instilled in pop culture. Um, and I'm not going to disparage it because I enjoy that series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the comic books, as when it's a phenomenon, whenever you get something on a non comic media. Like a television show that's popular, or movies that um, make a lot of money, the comic book is going to morph into the more popular medium because more people are going to buy it if it meets their expectations. Right, right. We we saw so that at with this Marvel point in Batman. We continue to see it with Marvel. Yes, um, but, and it. it Look at Batman in the 80s or the 90s. You know, you still have that. Um, So at this point, Batman was campy. He was, you know, seeing around in in the pages of his own comic books. Right. Um, Which is fine. um, But once that television show got canceled, people lost interest in Batman.
0: Right. And Batman was on the verge of getting the axe. So O'Neill... And, and Julie Schwartz got together and they said, You know what? You got any ideas for Batman?
1: <laughs> he said, Yeah. And O'Neill said, Yeah, we'll just take it back to its roots. Mm-hmm. And they said, Well,
0: um, they did a story for Tech, which is The Secret of the Waiting Graves. And that started the whole thing. It was a little 15 page story in Detective Comics. And. From there, it, it just blew up and O'Neill's tenure as a Batman writer and later as a Batman editor uh, is is now legendary and kind of defined the character for an entire generation, perhaps longer. Um, yeah, and we are that
1: generation. <laughs> I mean, that's us. To me, when I think of Batman, just like out of the blue, this is the Batman I think of. This is the Batman I grew up with. Um I remember I had like one of those giant size, not like 80 pages, though it must have been because it had like four or five stories in it, but it was like big, right? Mm -hmm. Like double-sized comic book. And it had this Two-Face story in it. Um, It had like all the major, it had the Joker's five-way revenge in it. Mm -hmm. It had like all the major villains uh, reprinted. And uh, my aunt got it for me when I broke my leg. Mm-hmm. And I read the shit out of that. <laughs> over and over and over. All right, well, let's... Yeah, uh, that... Go ahead. Let, no, let's keep it... I, I could be nostalgic later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's kick it off with The Secret of the Waiting Graves.
1: Now... If there ever was a Batman story that people who like Call of Cthulhu, the game, mm-hmm. could wrap their minds around... This story is it,
0: right? I would say I would say that distinction also goes along with uh, Gothos Manor or Gothos Mansion is a very Call of Cthulhu like, and, and in fact I would say I would say Gothos Mansion is even more "quote unquote" of the Gothic literary style than than this one, and it might be because you know he only had fifteen pages or so to work with. Uh, but we see Bruce Wayne on holiday in Mexico, enjoying the life of a jet-setting playboy billionaire, or probably millionaire back in those days, uh, and unraveling a strange plot uh, involving some flowers with plot device properties. (laughs) Right, well,
1: I mean, if you haven't read this comic by now... Jesus fucking Christ, there are going to be spoilers. I'm telling you, this whole fucking podcast is going to be riddled with spoilers. I'm not even going to bother pretending to hold anything back. Right. So I'm just warning you, if, if you like want to read these and you haven't and you think that somehow spoiling a 50 uh, year old Batman comic is going to ruin your childhood, then <laughs> go ahead, go do something else um, on the surface. This is a very simple story yes uh you have um this plant the this flowers that uh who have the property of granting immortality to people i don't know how but they do uh they're also highly hallucinogenic okay. um and in 15 pages you have you've come to find out that they're a contraband substance the mexican government is trying to um eradicate them and arrest them arrest the, the people responsible for them who happen to be the hosts of this party who are each like 150 years old or something mm-hmm. because of these flowers. Right. Um, and that's the that's the plot. It's super simple. It's it's basically a drug trafficking story. Right. <laughs> with, uh, with a magic CCA, flowers. Right, a
0: CCA-approved drug trafficking story because, you know, it couldn't be real right. drugs until you got to Speedy's... Uh, heroin addiction,
1: right? And but what um, O'Neill and Adams do with this is they make it so every panel counts. A, mm-hmm. but B, every panel is dark. Um, you you we're not in like mod Gotham City anymore. We're on the desolate Mexican countryside in this uh in this big villa. Uh, the, the jet that are there and w- during this whole party batman is uh trying to figure out what the fuck is going on
0: right because there's this one guy who keeps like somebody is keeps attempting to murder this one guy who turns out to be a a federale and he uh he's batman's running around you know he's using he's abusing his uh invitation kind of as you know to come to this party as bruce wayne and in a very gothic sort of style a uh, very victorian era literary device this whole mystery is framed around a garden party in a cemetery yes
1: uh on the, gr- on yes. the ground so, of course it's fantastic and this is the kind of stuff that o'neill was churning out for batman mm-hmm. every month
0: yes uh, there were many of the stories that we we looked at are, are definitely old-fashioned uh, pulp adventure uh, stories, crime type stories. But given the, the format, these are they're very short, very efficient storytelling. Uh,
1: yeah that... so at this, at this point in in Batman, you had the main story and then you had like a Robin backup story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so you got two stories in each issue. So that's why why they're so short, right?
0: And Batman is running around. He he disguises himself as Bruce Wayne. This guy had, carries more changes of clothes for for just like an afternoon than than anybody. Um, well, you never know when you're going to need uh, to call on Batman. Well, that's true. So he wears the bat suit. Trying around every corner, right? He keeps the Batman suit underneath his tuxedo, but apparently he has several extra tuxedos stashed around this property. Um, We only really see Bruce Wayne in, like, two panels because he's Batman the rest of the time. And he's coming in, he's, you know, charming young. I'm Bruce Wayne. Uh, I want to dance with your wife.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that, that strikes me about this story... And really all these stories is um a lot of the story takes place in batman's head and by that i mean um he's got an inner monologue going on yes um to to you know talk about the action on the panels and explain why he's doing things right um and it's fantastic because at one point you'll get that hood just barely missed me if i was just an inch or two off to the right Mm-hmm. Um, right, while he's like s- actionly swinging from a branch of a tree, having like clocked the guy um, in the head with his boots, but you know, so, uh, it, it just adds another dimension to the action mm-hmm. and uh, pushes the story forward. Because it, it, in in this, he's always thinking; he's always trying to um, take what's going on and apply it to the situation at large, right? Um, and it, it's. Comic book version of detective work because you know that Batman is always thinking, he's always trying to to correlate the contents Mm -hmm. and uh, come up with the answer. But in addition to this running monologue
0: inside of Batman's head, uh, Batman talks some trash too. He, I mean, he he really gets down and he's like, Oh, you guys are pathetic. You think you can fight me with your little guns? (laughs) Yes. And then suck, whack, right?
1: Huh, they were no match for that. the Batman. Yeah, I think I think you get like a l- a little bit of arrogance in uh in this Batman, but I think a lot of it is more uh, to psych people out because yeah, they have guns. He's just a guy in uh, a funny costume, <laughs> right? And he does a really good job of psyching people out. Now, you there you definitely have to. Suspend your disbelief um, a little bit because you're in the middle of Mexico um, and both Bruce Wayne and the Batman happen to be at the same party. Right. Two of Gotham's most famous sons. Now, they he, O'Neill actually calls
0: that out at some at, at during Daughter of the Demon when Rachel Ghul you know deducts, you know that that Batman is Bruce Wayne and he's like really it's a wonder nobody else has figured that shit out
1: <laughs> oh well he also uh, turns that around on its on its head in Daughter of the Demon and says I knew who you were from the very beginning it's no coincidence that Talia uh mentioned her father and then here you are right <laughs> so I mean it, it it does cut both ways in that story mm
0: now we have Gothos Manor, Gothos Mansion. We keep we keep screwing up Manor and Mansion. Yeah, I, that's my fault. Yeah, it's I guess because we're thinking of Wayne Manor, which is. Uh, like, I don't know. I just it's, I just remembered it weird from my childhood.
1: I guess. Right
0: now, this is one of those rare stories where something supernatural actually occurred, uh, and this this is like gothic storytelling it's a it's a haunted house tale um fans of call of cthulhu will be right along up with this one because it's also about a cult cult. there's a
1: cult um i think did you ever read um what was it shadow of the bat or legends of the dark knight that that um it was a series in the like the late 80s early 90s uh i think that was legend Legends, okay, yeah. So, um, they ran one called Whisper, mm-hmm. right? Or the villain was Mr. Whisper. Do you remember that one um, that had to do with no. Gothic architecture and blah, blah, blah? A- anyway, that is like a direct nod to this story.
0: Oh, nice. Um, might have to go back and check that one out.
1: Uh, it might, that might have been the first story arc from, from that run, but I digress. So, so yeah, this story... Is your classic gothic tale? Mm. It's got like the, the old manor or mansion, Victorian mansion, um, haunted by its own past, uh, where, where, where horrible things right. occurred for many generations.
0: And, and like, like all of these stories, it begins with a letter. Yep, uh, I think it's Alfred's yeah, but... niece sends Alfred a letter. And he's like, he gets it, he reads it, and he's like, Master Wayne, this is something you should want to be interested in. Then he reads it, and he goes, "So you want the Batman to take a look at this, huh?" Yeah,
1: he's a little cocky.
0: <laughs> and Alfred's like, "Yes." He's like, "That's a really good idea, Alfred. Glad you thought of it." Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> uh,
1: Alfred's niece takes a job um, as a as a, a tutor to a rich family to mm-hmm. tutor their kids in a gothic mansion in the middle of fucking no <laughs> and uh strange things start happening to her so she contacts her her uncle alfred who she who she knows knows batman yep so there you go that starts it and, and bruce does it it means basically his his father alfred's more or less his, his father the only parent figure in his life Whoever did anything for him. So he, he goes to investigate. And yeah, so there's a cult. Right.
0: There's a cult and Batman and thwarts the cult.
1: But the greatest thing is like the kids that she was supposed to be looking after weren't kids. They were like demonic dwarves. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. like she really just was like, I'm just going to open up the floodgates for every like cheap ass gothic 10 10 penny novel i've ever read.
0: Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like it's a hammer film.
1: Yeah, it's like a, it's a tribute to, to like that that it's Batman by Gaslight. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it really is and we get to see, you know, that 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 cockiness. You know, he jumps out as like he's like I'm not even going to sneak up on these guys. I'm just going to walk up to them and find out what's going on here.
1: That's Hi there, cultures. fellas. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's such a great tale. I mean, and once again, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's basically uh, this this young woman was kidnapped by a cult who wants to sacrifice her to uh, bring their, their demon out into the world. Into the world, which,
0: you know, his ancestors were successful at it, you know, some years ago. Um, but... But Alfred's niece looks just like the former lady of the house who was sacrificed I mean, some indeterminate period of time ago.
1: Shit, that is the backstory to Mass of Nyarlathotep.
0: What's that? The sacrifice?
1: The, the, this, this story is the backstory with a happier ending to Mass of Nyarlathotep, more or less. More or less. Um, it, with, with Comics Code Authority approval that's right so you don't get like hypatia math masters pregnant with the with the spawn of nair eating right. her from the inside you don't have it doesn't get that graphic but more or less this is this is the backstory to a uh, shit it might even be the backstory to uh to brotherhood of the beast <laughs> it's <laughs> just like the backbone of all a call of cthulhu is in in this story and it's it's fantastic and maybe that's why I like Call of Cthulhu so much is because this, this particular Batman story has just been with me m- almost my entire life. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I seem to recall the last time you ran Mask of Naira it had its own
1: Mask Vigilante. It did. But, I mean, that had nothing to do with me. <laughs> no, so, I mean, uh, this is probably... To me, this story takes what O'Neill... And Adams tried to do with their Batman mm-hmm. stories, and distills it into just like the perfect Batman story. Mm-hmm.
0: It, it's definitely that that same formula that uh, O'Neill put forth in in uh, Secret of the Waiting Graves, and expands it uh, to to an, a bit of a larger scale. But it's still it's still Batman, um, and it's still that type of pacing, uh, you know, cause you had to back in these days, you had to finish that, that story in 20 pages (laughs) or less.
1: Yeah. Well, you had a, well, you had a a backup tale that had to be run as well.
0: Right. You had a backup tale, but also, you know, just unlike a lot of stories, particularly in more, more recent times, you know, it's not like, okay, uh, give me a Batman story over five issues. It's give me a Batman story that runs 15 pages.
1: Right. Well, and and it's funny because the backup story has more of that continuity story arc. Um, Right. Right. The Robin story. uh, So this whole time you have these backup stories of Robin and he's gone off to Hudson university and these are his adventures at university, but there's a, they have story arcs and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's more
0: continuity. Um, O'Neill, O'Neill didn't write the Robin backups. He wrote.
1: Specifically no, that was that like man. Frank Robbins. I think. Yeah. I want to say Frank Robbins. Um, yeah, so uh, it, it's strange. Um, now, here's a, a bit of trivia: Julie Schwartz, the editor, uh, was big Lovecraft guy. Right. So I'm sure. O'Neill going in saying cults and, you know, dark mansions and supernatural. And I'm sure George, sold. make it happen <laughs> make it happen, Jules.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, listening to Adams and O'Neill talk about that, that tenure on Batman and their interactions with Julie, um, you yeah, are, are kind of interesting as well, because it always seemed like you went into Julie's office and, and he's this like starch shirt, full suit kind of guy all the time. And he's like, what do you got for me? You gave him an idea. And he goes, well, that's terrible. What about this? And they had like these sessions where they would kick ideas back and forth. And finally they would come up with something. He goes, write it. Kick him out of their office, his office. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and it, was, it was like Julie Schwartz like had an iron fist on DC. He's like, you write it. You draw it. Get out of my office.
1: Now, the next one we're doing... I got golf uh, with Br-
0: Stan Lee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> brings <laughs> uh, the dynamic duo back together, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, the daughter of the demon. Yep. Uh, uh, which they- introduces the, the villain, Ra's al Ghul. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, the legendary Batman villain, Ra's al Ghul. Um, who is... Uh,
1: well, well, it's kind of weird how Ra's al Ghul was, like, pretty big in Batman canon in the '70s, mm-hmm. and then kind of died off until Batman Begins, and then became another like big thing. I don't uh, know. You don't mean... hear a lot of Ra's al Ghul outside of um, of the '70s work. Like I know there was like um, the he was a Justice League villain for a while, and you had like his like the Al Ghul clan uh with with all of his immortal children doing weird things all over the place
0: um I, I seem to recall that he was pretty uh featured a lot like in the the batman 400 that arc that was going on around that issue because uh 400 was like the the culmination of that that arc where he he fought rachel Ghul the last time yet again <laughs> it's like the who right and i, I believe that encounter ended with an uninjured Rachel Ghoul falling into a Lazarus so he got kind of like amped up a little bit. You know, I the 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 image from 400 that jumps out at me is uh, he falls into the Lazarus pit, he comes out. He takes a swing at Batman and like smacks his hand directly into a like a stone pillar or something and you just see he pulls his hand back and it's all like deformed and the fingernails are falling off. And he just looks at Batman. And he's like, "I've broken every bone in my hand. I don't feel a thing." He used to fight with Batman, but uh, yeah, Daughter of the Demon. This is the the first uh, appearance of Rachel Ghoul. It's also the longest issue in our selection because it is double sized because they didn't need to have a Robin yeah. backup and, feature.
1: Yeah, it's all Batman. All thirty seven pages of it.
0: Yep, and. And Robin acts as kind of like the damsel in distress. He gets kidnapped in on the first page, and a, a photograph and a note is sent to Bruce Wayne at his penthouse apartment
1: in Gotham City. Right. And yeah, if you've actually seen uh, the Batman: The Animated Series episode, also called "Called Daughter of the Demon," uh, you basically read this comic. It was a pretty
0: straight ad- adaptation. Yeah. Uh, so Batman or Bruce Wayne rather you know he's got his Batman suit because he's still operating even though he's in the penthouse apartment but he's like you know I need to get some shit from the Batcave I I need to you know I don't know why he didn't bring any of his like crime solving equipment to the penthouse too Uh, because it's too big yeah and he just drives out he needed the big
1: guns for this he needed the international crime database as opposed to what he could just do in Gotham, right?
0: Now, just so you guys know, in in this particular issue, the International Crime Database is a book that is probably a foot and a half thick <laughs> that Batman <laughs> actually flips through. Right? You know, he's at, there's no Bat computer with punch cards or magnetic tape though. It's he looks it up in a book. It's like, okay, you, dude, you have like. The yellow pages of crime in your basement. <laughs> and so so once he gets down in the Batcave, Ra's Rachel Ghoul steps out of the shadows and is like, I must introduce myself. I am Rachel al- Yeah. I know you're let me tell you how I figured it out. Because Rachel Ghoul was written kind of to be the Moriarty to Batman Sherlock Holmes. So they yes, were kind so- of equal.
1: No no hero in all of comics has better villains than batman because of the philosophy and i've said it before that you take the hero and you do the exact opposite Mm -hmm. or you make um the villain ridiculously like almost a hegelian version of the hero where all of his traits are are fined to the point of of just being ridiculous Mm -hmm. and that's how you make really good villains And um, with Batman, they just, and the Flash to a certain extent, but more Batman, they do it so well uh, because there's so many different facets to Batman's personality that you can uh, hone in on. Uh, But Al Ghul is the culmination of all of them. He is Batman's, like, just, he is Batman, but... Cold and calculate. Actually, you know, he's actually more like what uh, the modern version of Batman is. Right, right, yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense. That he's that Ra's al Ghul is
1: the Batman of Tower of Babel. Yeah, or or Scott Snyder's Batman. Right. Though. He's just you know, it's it's kind of funny, uh, and, and that just occurred to me right now. But it, it is he's evil Batman, and now the current Batman that we have is evil Batman. Right. So I guess that's one of the reasons
0: why we don't see Rachel Ghoul in some of these modern stories because, you know, you can't. Batman has become cold in calculated. Well, he's dead. I think
1: he's well, like dead dead. Man, Rachel al is never dead. Uh, Talia is like the head of the League of Assassins now.
0: Well, that's that's fine. That doesn't mean Damian Damien somebody... might have killed him. I don't know.
1: I don't know if, but I wouldn't put it past.
0: You know, I you know, I, I don't care. Ra's Ghoul is one of those characters who can die on panel and still come back to life five or six issues down well, that's the road. Every, I
1: mean, that's every goddamn Batman villain. I
0: know, but most most villains who die, you know, they they fall from a great height and and disappear into shadows or the mists of a waterfall or something like that. You know, Ra's Ghoul gets, like, run through with a sword and impaled on a moving train that derails. And ten issues later, he's like, yeah, that was just a scratch.
1: Well, I mean, they have the Lazarus Pits. Right.
0: So, I think it's only a matter of time, really, before another writer gets into that Batman's chair and turns around and says, you know what? Screw this Three Joker shit. We're going to bring back
1: Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, get the Three Jokers, but whatever. Oh man!
0: But then we 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 end up it's like Rachel Ghul comes up and he's got this proposition. He's like, you know what? I know about your Ward Robin being kidnapped, and my daughter uh, has been kidnapped in very much the same way. And uh, it just so happens that my daughter has been kidnapped as well. Yeah, I I don't think. Um, hey, the, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did re- miss out during Ricardo Montalban's life that he did not get to play, Rachel Cool. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine that? It would have been fucking amazing, absolutely amazing.
1: It would have been, it would have been really fucking cool. It would have been Rachel. Cool. Rachel Cool. Yeah, well, there's a. Um,
0: Isn't that a so, villain?
1: You <laughs> did you ever read Trinity? No, no, I didn't. In Trinity, Bizarro refers to him as Razor Cool. Razor.
0: You am razor cool. Me hate you.
1: More or less. <laughs>
0: uh, and so he forks over this picture and he's like, oh, it's Talia. But it, for a kidnapping picture, Talia's like striking a bit of a pose there. And Batman's like, you know, do you mind if I keep this picture? <laughs>
1: <I> <laughs> slides it, slides it into his utility a belt. <laughs> asking for a friend.
0: It's, yeah, Al- Alfred really likes these
1: sorts of pictures. Right. Well, it actually turns out that, that um, Batman and Talia had a run-in uh, previously, where she was kidnapped by—it's uh, probably one of her brothers, uh, but it was the, the head of the League of Assassins. Right. <clears throat> cough, cough, cough. Right. And uh, and batman was managed to uh, rescue her and that had it was uh oh it was it was dark it was uh damian dark ah and no. uh he ended up he ended up getting hit by a train because Talia <laughs> may or may not have pushed him in front of that train. <laughs> he slipped she pushed him spoiler alert
0: he slipped. I mean, yeah, I tr- so, I tried but- to catch him, but you know, I accidentally instead of like grabbing his shirt or coat, I it, my hand wouldn't close right, and it just like kind of made able to shove.
1: But <laughs> so, um, I mean, we all know what happens in the story. The long and short of it is that um, Rachel Ghoul is testing Batman, right? right. Because during their previous encounter Tanya fell for for big old Batman mm-hmm. the old lug she fell for him hard and uh Richard Ghoul had to see if he was worthy of his daughter's affections and this
0: is how he did it right right this is like this is like the the equivalent of of the asshole father coming out with a shotgun <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I was so save
1: kidnapping of my daughter and your ward. I will send you through a series of tests. One more difficult and diabolical than the last.
0: <laughs> then, if you succeed, you may take her to prom. Right. <laughs> and, and he does. And he goes on this, like, fucking, like, uh, Doc Savage style. I mean, O'Neill really... Draws from a lot of the, the old pulps uh, when when creating this. We talked about Lovecraft in, in, in Gothos Manor, or Mansion, and did it again. And now we have this one. And it, you had uh, uh, The Waiting Graves was very much like a, a, a Shadows, kind of going back to Finger and Cain, borrowing liberally from Walter Gurley Batman. Uh, but this one is very much Lester Dent. Kind of, you know, every step that Batman takes... The danger gets more and more uh, deadly. It's like each act—it's following that Lester Dent master formula where, you know, each act the danger has to pick up. So we see Batman fight a leopard <laughs> with his—and yes. no, no right, special right. bat-leopard repellent or any of that shit, right? I he know. just straight up she... fights a leopard with his bare hands.
1: Yes, he fights a leopard with his bare hands, and uses it as an opportunity to not only describe how he's going to fight the leopard, right. uh, but how he's using this fight with the leopard to solve the mystery of what the fuck is going on. Right. Right. This leopard was obviously trained. The leopard was trained and the, the key, it's so brilliant how he does this. It's kind of subtle. Mm-hmm. And then, and then O'Neill kind of plays his hand. So this whole time, uh, Ra's Bodyguard Ubu will not let Batman walk in front of Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul has to, you know, he gets the first fucking uh, pomegranate, right? Right. He he's got to do everything first. He got to walk through all the doors first. Blah blah blah, until the leopard, and then they just let Batman into the room with the leopard. Right. Well, Batman obviously figures this out because he ain't dumb. And after this encounter with the leopard, um, they make to the go, and he makes a big deal of bowing. And say, oh no, after you.
0: <laughs> right. Not until, not after, before they find a map of the Himalayas left out on a desk. Yes. With what the narration text describes as a barely perceptible
1: mark left by someone with long... Well, it the, that, but that's his... Right, that is internal. Says that. Batman says that because there ain't no mark. Right. But he already knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. So now, he, like, says it just enough to play dumb mm-hmm. and let them leave him.
0: Right, right. Meanwhile, all of this is going on, and Rachel Ghoul is just showering him. The man of your physical prowess is most impressive. Yes. Because you fought a leopard with your bare hands.
1: It's true. He did. And, and meanwhile... That this whole time, Batman's kind of like Musashi, where he's just like sizing them up and going, "I can take them." You've already lost the battle, right? Right. He's, li- he's like
0: he's like looking at Ubu. He's letting Ubu kind of like push him around a little bit, you know? right? And he's like, "Mm-hmm." I'll recognize that jaw later. I'll commit That's that right. to muscle memory. And uh, so they go to Tibet, and uh, he's like, once again. Danger happens. Batman gets to go first. They're climbing a mountain, you know. Batman, of course, you know. Yeah, I've. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm a bit of an amateur
1: mountain climber. You can tell he's an amateur mountain climber because he's got his mountain climbing gear and his bat Cow. on. Yes, his
0: Himalayan <laughs> clothes. He's got his heavy parka. He's got snow pants and boots on top of his entire Batman outfit. So he's like, you know, he's layered.
1: And later on, he is bare chested. No cape, but he's got his
0: bat cowl off. Yes, yes. Uh, I believe that's, uh, that's uh, daughter of the demons first date. Yes, <laughs> where he's able to keep the bat. It's every time we're shown the bat cowl and cape in in it, like hanging in the closet. It's one piece, but apparently the cape is detachable. Yeah. And and he uses it for an assortment of different things. Yep,
1: like uh, catching birds and smashing them against uh, cemetery mausoleum walls. Yep. Crack. (laughs) He's like, Batman doesn't kill,
0: but uh, unless you're an animal.
1: Yeah, he will fuck you up if you are a
0: hostile animal. Yeah, he he broke the leopard's neck. Yeah, he's he's killed quite a few animals in this. And uh, so... Sniper fire. They're shooting. Rachel Ghoul goes down. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Ubu's got him to safety. Now, I just must swing out while stripping off this heavy parka so I can move fast. <laughs> That's a trick I learned from Barry Allen. I'm going yes. to strip so I can so fight this guy in the Himalayas.
1: I'll tell you, I've gotten up quite a bit of... Um of mileage out of this whole Batman climbing the mountain in the Himalayas thing. Yeah. Just me personally. <laughs> you like the Himalayas. Maybe we should not have read this publicly. Now everybody knows where like all my ideas for role playing all stem from Danny O'Neill's run on Batman.
0: <laughs> ah, there we go. Now we'll just have to figure out what issue the bag up Eventually Eventually, Batman defeats the snipers, is brought into, like, the lair of this secretive cult of the demon uh, to find Robin sitting on a chair, tied up.
1: And and it's it's at this point where Batman just decides to go full-on cocky. He's just like, let's just cut the crap. You okay, kid? Yep. Let's fuck him up.
0: (laughs) Right. It's like, unbridled rage. These are not men of violence, but when they do... Commit acts
1: of brutality. It is
0: furious anger and revenge.
1: It is interesting how Batman and Robin interact as um as father and son, or you know mm-hmm. Ward or whatever, as opposed to uh, Oliver Queen and Speedy, right? Um, which is strange because uh, apparently, as you were telling me, Danny O'Neill does not like Robin. But he treats Robin with respect, and, uh, you know, they go and do their thing, and it's automatic, and they have, their relationship isn't strained, right? Right. As opposed to, when we talked about this last week, Oliver Queen and Speedy, Roy Harper, um, kind of have a broken relationship.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he did kind of leave Speedy, like, blowing in the wind and truck off across the
1: country. Well, I just think it's great that he could take two very similar characters because for all intents and purposes, Green Arrow and Batman were the same character uh, for a very long part of their history up until this point. Right. Um, and take, take these the similar characters and um have their personalities and their story arcs go in completely different directions. Right. Um would be their relationships and their personalities and it's not lazy. Um I think a lot of other writers would have just done it lazily and just had yet another um you know kid kid sidekick superhero relationship. Um, you know, cookie cutter. And I'm, I'm glad that um, Denny O'Neill decided to put uh, a little bit of, of three dimensionality into his characterizations.
0: And I think something that, that O'Neill did in particular in this issue that, that went on to influence Dick Grayson's character development going forward um, was that, while Batman is on the plane, he's recounting his own origin. Then he recounts Batman's or Robin's, and basically says that that he and Dick Grayson are
1: really the same, right? And and it's not uncommon. He you know he goes on to muse that this happens all the time to to you know a ton of people, which is you know why he does what he does. So it right. won't happen, or right. to prevent stuff like this from happening.
0: And, and and really, it's kind of like Batman took on Dick Grayson as a ward out of a sense of responsibility. And he's like, you know what? Not only can I can I take this, this kid in, take care of him, give him the life that he deserves, I can give him the opportunity um, to make sure that it doesn't happen to the next generation. He's already prepping Dick Grayson to, to kind of take up the cowl, as, as it were. But He's also kind of trying to point Robin in a different direction. And, and of course, Dick Grayson later becomes Nightwing, and he's is almost figurehead kind of character himself. He is one of the greatest in the DC Universe because he is possibly more experienced than any other superhero because he's been doing this shit since he was, uh, like, nine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's true.
0: You know, I've often, I've often said of the Bat family that you know, Batman like raises these kids and influences these kids, but it's like um, Dick is a better fighter, and Tim is a better detective. You know, and and Barbara can do everything that Bruce does without having millions of dollars. So it's like he's training the next generation to actually be better than him. And that comes up thematically, periodically, depending on the writer.
1: Right. Well, I think it just also here, you you don't have um, the complete angst-ridden um, Batman. They don't concentrate as much on uh, the angst of it all and, and the psychosis. Yeah, he's, he's definitely obsessed and driven and that's it. He's more driven um, and more of a reasonable human being. Um, And, and frankly, it's a little bit more realistic. Right.
0: Right. He is more of a, he's, he's more of that Sherlock Holmes type of personality where yes, he's detached from the quote unquote, you know, the, the real world where, you know, social exchanges and stuff like this, but he is, he is methodical and logical and he, he buries, his pain underneath this facade of, of being rational, methodical, figuring things out—that's um, how he deals with the trauma of losing his parents, or witness Joe Chill kill his parents, and he kind of mentions that to to Rachel Ghul as well. Um, that yeah, she's like, aren't you angry? He's like, oh, I'm fuming, but you know it's not the time to be it's the time to be to kick your ass i'm i'm flying a plane here buddy it's not time for me to be fuming you know i'm not going to get any air rage no. and, and and speaking and speaking of ways that rachel Ghoul is dicking him over in the course of this adventure right it's rachel Ghoul's plane he's making batman fucking fly it so, well, it's all a
1: test it's all a test well so you can fly a plane is, as well after, after all this <laughs> Um, you know, he they, they kick the shit out of the cult of the assassins and um they have Ubu stand in as the leader and he goes down like a sack of potatoes because he has a glass jaw. Um Gould, you know, gives him the old and, You perform splendidly. And I mean it's just kind of like fuck you.
0: <laughs> right. And then Talia comes out and is like Batman's like, I wish I had brought the bat Because <laughs> they do. He's like Rachel Ghoul's like, yes, you may take my daughter to prom. Here she is in her prom dress, and you know, it's it's weird how they how they do it because you know it is the '70s, and Talia Ghoul is this kind of femme fatale kind of character,
1: right? But what the fuck is she wearing? She,
0: I have no idea what you would call that, but there ain't much of it
1: yeah so she comes out in like this thing
0: yeah it's almost like the dragon like, lady dress you know it's got a yeah, from yeah, the yeah, ground yeah. to the hip you know bare midriff like almost like a bikini top and it's like hi and it's like so you weren't kidnapped at all i knew that the whole time thanks for the entrance though <laughs> right
1: yes yeah, so, I and mean, that is it's a cool story
0: it is, and it and it sets off. It's 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 it really kind of sets off one of the great rivalries in this type of right. You know, because Ra's Al Ghul is equivalent to
1: Batman. Well, and, and, and it also opens up the the Bat world, so Batman can have international adventures mm-hmm. uh, instead of you know just slinking around graveyards and right, stuff. Right, right. It gives him like a yeah.
0: Blofeld level villain.
1: Right. Now, speaking of. uh of small-time villains <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a uh, anticlimactic though it is a great story right um, the next one we did half an evil the return of two-face um, where they managed now I don't know if you read any old two-face stories but they're kind of hokey right uh, they're, they're, you know they're You know the story, District Attorney Harvey Dent gets splashed with acid, now he has to flip a coin, and they they really lean into the coin-flipping thing. Right, Uh, and he gets
0: plastic surgery to fix his face, he turns into a good guy again, something blows up, fucks up his plastic surgery, and he's like, you know what, fuck it, I'm Two faced forever now. Right,
1: he's really just like a one-note villain, until Half an Evil... And they manage. i got two-note villain to you, pal. <laughs> they manage to take. Uh, it's also once again, it's a really short story. Uh, they take this like old, has been villain from the '50s, and they make like a really cool, uh, almost like a, um, a noir detective story out of it. Uh, you know, you could see Sam Spade um, instead of Batman.
0: Yeah, it, it's very, very much, very uh, little reliance on the persona, and but more on Batman's ability to solve a crime, solve a... Mis- and it turns into, and, and they kind of give a little bit of a nod to those old cheesy Batman stories, because in the <laughs> beginning, uh, somebody steals a fucking... Helium hot dog balloon, you know, which which turns yeah. out to be like have been the perfect choice, right? Well, it was a from Janice
1: mustard company or Janice hot dogs. Yeah, Janice hot dogs. Um, the interesting thing to me about this story, aside from resurrecting Two-Face and making him a cool villain. Finally, um, you get like Commissioner Gordon contacts Batman about the theft of a helium balloon, and basically tells him like this is too stupid for the police, but it's right up your alley.
0: Yeah, it's weird. He <laughs> he's telling the mayor, you know, it's like why are you why are you blasting that shit? Do you know how much that chick costs?
1: You know, and it's it's a change in the relationship between Batman and the police. Uh, prior to this, Batman was deputized. He still might be in this. I don't know. Um, but he isn't like, um, oh, we'll call the kid Crusader. Uh, right. It's more like, who steals a goddamn balloon? Uh, you know, this like is, a hot dog. Yeah, this is for Batman, and this is like, let, let's just give it to him.
0: We're not, we're not wasting Gotham PD resources on <laughs> exactly. on, a, on a giant balloon. Let's, let's exactly.
1: call a freak. Um, so you almost have Batman PI, right? <laughs> right, or Batman occult detective. Yeah, and it's like, I,
0: you know, you, I don't think he's deputized because, you know, while everybody's familiar with Gordon, like, you know, having the bat using it to signal Batman, uh, the mayor is not approving it, so I don't think he's officially deputized. But I think one of the better exchanges in this story is the mayor starts talking shit about Batman. He's like, I wish he was here. I'd give him the old left and a right. And then Batman is like... You know, you get that one panel where it's like, he's standing behind me, isn't he? I'm looking at that panel right now. (laughs) And Batman, he turns around, looks at Batman, and Batman's like, boo. (laughs) And and the fucking mayor runs out of the room, like pissing his pants. Yes.
1: Now, I really like this story because, A, it, it is one of the earliest Batman stories I've ever read. Uh, but b and more importantly it marries what um o'neill and adams are trying to do with those old goofy stories because two-face is committing all these two-themed crimes just like he would in 1955 right he steals a hot dog that says janice on it right um he's going after captain by's treasure not bligh captain by Right. The the treasure is hidden in a two-masted schooner. So it's got, like, all the hallmarks.
0: Right, right. But the, the Captain By is a little more creative because it sounds like the prefix. So it sounds like he could be going after the Captain. Alfred's the one that figures this shit out. Or is at least is acting as a Watson or... Some type of voice for the character for, for the yeah, audience. It
1: all be like in Batman's head that gets right. boring, um, and they, they also managed to make it dark. So every it, it's, with the exception of the broad daylight um, theft of the float, which mm-hmm. I think might have been uh, used in the Batman movie Bat, in that concept. Remember the Joker had the floats, floats filled with smilex. Yep, yep, and Batman stole yeah. one up. Yeah.
0: Well, he had one balloon filled with Smilex, one big balloon, and he used the Batwing.
1: So, uh, with the exception of that, this Angering whole... Swamp thing. Right, well, the, the rest of this thing, well, it would be Solomon Grundy if it's a swamp outside of Gotham. Um, takes place during the night into the dawn. Uh, so, it's just fantastic. And the way they draw Harvey Dent. So, like, one of the things I do whenever I read a Two-Face story is I always, like, Take my hand, put it over the bad half and see if they if he looks like a person, right? Mm. And he goddamn does if you do that. And if you put it over the right half of his thing, he looks like a demon. It's the art is phenomenal. Right.
0: And you can also you can also kind of like hint at the dialogue by covering as to which half of Harvey's personality is doing the talking. Right. Because two face Two Face, when he's when he's in his evil mode, talks like a two bit hood. And when he's in his Harvey mode, he has he speaks a little more
1: The coin has decided. The evil part of my nature right. wins. And so Two Face must strike.
0: Yep. And and I always the thing about Two Face I always liked is, you know, he's not he's not like some of these other characters who are just evil for evil's sake. You know, he does have that bit of random chance. It's like do I shoot this guy? Flip the coin, lands on the you know, normal side, then you know the guy gets to live. Um, we see this used to great effect in this story because a homeless man gets caught in the on the mast of this schooner that Two Face is stealing the treasure off of, and Batman's like, "You're just gonna leave him there?" And he's like, and he starts. He's like, "I got the treasure. I'm getting the hell out of here." He starts rowing away, and he's like, "God damn it!" Pulls out his coin. Flips it,
1: starts rolling back. <laughs> well, it, it's, um, it, that's also a nod to those old stories. Do you remember the one where Batman had a prepped, uh, replica of his coin that he hollowed out mm. so that it would only land on its side? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I vaguely remember that one. And, and there was one where he had like a bunch of, of two sided coins.
0: Yeah. They did that one in, uh, Batman Forever. They used that gag. Where he just, like, yeah, but I, into think, his that a,
1: and I think that came from. A comic. Well, I'm sure, but still, because yeah, they weren't smart enough in Batman Forever to like do anything half as remotely clever as that. Right.
0: <laughs> but I mean, it's still it's still an interesting uh, plot device that that Harvey can do the right thing or the wrong thing depending on and right and and really, if you're writing a story like this, right, you can actually deviate and write both versions of the script and literally flip a coin yourself and see which outcome you're going to get <laughs>
1: and then fill like the rest of the. like Philip K Dick writing it yeah um, using the
0: yeah kind of but uh yeah Harvey Dent comes back because he just cannot resist that compulsion to act as the coin dick and rescues the homeless guy. And he's like, well, what about me? I'm Batman. It's like, oh, you're all, I don't care what side of the fucking coin it lands on. You're always my enemy uppercut. Right. And so he starts a big old fight with Batman on his boat, which gives Batman the opportunity, you know, not to outsmart him this time, but gives him the opportunity to actually take out Two. Because Two-Face, if he hadn't flipped that coin, would have gotten away with it.
1: That yeah, I he had to be reminded of. Him.
0: Right, right, and and so so, you know, Two Face is one of those villains that Batman.
1: Yeah. He, he defeats him in his mind. Right. I expanded my muscle timing. Yes. That's definitely a, another one of those. I was the I was the Golden Gloves champion boxing champion in college. <laughs> hold my ring.
0: <laughs> hold my here here, Arrow. Hold my ring. That's <laughs> like Why you? See, if you were me, Green Lantern wouldn't wear a ring to begin with.
1: Yes, yeah, so, it's, it's funny how O'Neill depends so much on like these cliches and, and old pulp um, plots and, and stuff. And he, he's completely self-aware of it. And every once in a while, he'll make fun of himself for using for so using That type that. of cliché. But, uh, you know, back, going
0: back to Daughter of the Demon for a moment, because, you know, we talk about Batman's kind of attitude and his arrogance and stuff. Like, there is that one scene in Daughter of the Demon where he just loses his shit. He's like, look, motherfucker, I've been around the goddamn world, climbed a goddamn mountain, I'm freezing my ass off in this outfit, and I bruised my knuckles on so many chins that I've lost count. And you go going to come with me at that crap? <laughs> this weak-ass crap? Of course, you know it was CCA, so you know some of the some of those words are deleted. But basically, that's the sentiment. He didn't say motherfucker. No, he didn't say motherfucker. But you know, it still would it had the same impact. Now, Um, if if it was "Daughter of the
1: Demon" featuring Miles Davis. Fuck! I ever other word. (laughs) Yeah, the last one we read um, from Batman Giant Two Sixty Two was one I had never read before. That's a motherfucker, right? Scarecrow, Jesus Christ! Sorry, I meant Miles Davis. <laughs> the scarecrow's path
0: of fear. It's his trail
1: of fear. Trail of fear,
0: whatever. Ads are for finders, trails are. For- so the the this story opens up with Batman chasing this dude through the streets of Gotham, uh, because he knows something. He, he's like a right. bank robber, and he's stolen this money, and he's hid it somewhere. And Batman's tracking him down to find out where he took it.
1: Well, it's out uh, in, in media res for Batman.
0: Right, right. we were picking up in, like, the middle of the case, or what would be the end of the case in a normal issue, if but not for no the interference of the scale. No, wants, no one wants to see
1: Batman beat the crap out of some rando punk. Right. Unless the rando punk happens to have inside knowledge of the whereabouts of Jonathan Crane. Right. right.
0: But interrogating this guy in the alley suddenly the dude is scared to death and you know Batman isn't really thinking about it right at that time because you know his, his whole persona is about scaring criminals to death um, but then he's like wait a minute I'm kind of scared too what's up with that am I scared to be beating this guy I'm really <laughs> afraid of beating the crap out of this guy something's going <laughs> on and a car tries to run down Batman who leaps out of the way at the right moment lands and finds that this his subject of his interrogation has died of fear uh Gordon yeah. and the police department come in and they're like did you do that uh no it was someone else I think it was
1: scarecrow a little bit of background <laughs> information on the scarecrow no that's the next uh, thing that happened yeah a little it, bit backstory because um these villains haven't appeared in a while it's not like um I mean these days yeah we know all about. Two Face and the Scarecrow, and Joker, and all that, mm. but at this point, none of those were really being utilized,
0: right? Right, and in, and according to Adams, that it was the creation of Rachel Ghoul that set into motion bringing all these other characters back. He's like, okay, we have the Moriarty, now we can send in the clown, so to speak, and Scarecrow. <laughs>
1: We can spit the
0: clowns. Yeah, and, and I think yeah, I, I think I know exactly what he was—he ref- was being kind of literal. Joker's five way revenge. revenge. Yeah, and you know he—he he considered the Riddler. Um, so you have Gordon. You know, Batman gives like the brief backstory for the audience and for the fucking beat cops out there that are like hanging on to Jim Gordon, and Jim Gordon's just like that guy again. Well, we need to find yeah. out where he is. So. the the Gotham PD descends on this amusement park because Batman has figured out that well what the the clue he gave me you know would point at an amusement park plus I've been stalking this guy for like weeks now he hid out not far from here so you know it, it has to be and they're like well Gordon's like well let's charge in men and he's like hold on a second let me go in there by myself I know Scarecrow I know his tactics you know i don't need you guys getting in there getting hit with some kind of fear device and start well, and shooting each other up
1: that's the thing is it's determined that um normally jonathan crane uses gas um to to distribute his fear um but in this case he has a new device that allows him to create fear without the, the gas right
0: and and it has longer range.
1: yes so Uh, And Batman, obviously, is concerned that this um, and rightly so, that a pole squad of heavily armed police, all of a sudden, filled with raging fear, did probably not spell um, for good times.
0: That's right. So Batman goes in by himself. Takes out some minor thugs.
1: But he takes out the minor thugs. It's great because it's a It's basically a fight in an amusement park. Right. And the rides are going. He's like jumping off of roller coasters and tilting whirls and fucking people up. It's great. It is, I mean, it's not just like a fight. He's like, it's cool. His environment.
0: Now, the first henchman he takes out is like one of those classic Batmans that they try to do in every adaptation of the character where. The guy's got the Tommy gun pointed at the door. He's ready to shoot. The door is slowly opening. The guy starts opening fire. Bah, 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 And then he kicks open the door and there's no one there. But you see the shadow of Batman on the wall. And you know it's like, this guy's fucked.
1: It comes from above. Yeah. With his-
0: and, and you know, I think I think the use of the shadow, some of the best imagery of Batman. You don't have to see the character. All you need is that silhouette just cast on a wall yeah, the, the pointy ears yeah and it's like that the silhouette is is the presence of batman everything shifts just from that
1: shadow being cast well i mean this this whole really all of these rely really heavily on uh, noir tropes mm-hmm. uh the use of shadows and light interplaying you know uh dark sets the night yeah so uh, and it, it does it really well and really effectively. And, man, that's where Batman needs it. The be. Grim of it. doesn't need to be climbing up the side of the buildings like at 3 o'clock in the afternoon talking to, to goddamn Liberace.
0: But, uh, you know, he he takes out the villain uh, and starts tracking Scarecrow through the amusement park, basic, ascertaining his location on how bad he was But he uses he uses his logical mind to overcome it. I think it's kind of a cop-out,
1: to be frank and honest with you. The way, the over, he, just,
0: the way he overcomes uh, his sympathetic nervous system with, like, logic. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah because technically, technically, the way Scarecrow, his device, he said, operates, there shouldn't be a way to overcome it, because it just, like, broadcasts directly to a part of you. Yeah.
1: So, that is a... Uh, uh, it kind of mars the story a little bit for me i think they could have been a little bit more clever than just make oh yeah well batman's he's batman beat scarecrow because he's right and scarecrow is like
0: oh don't hit me don't hit me batman not in the face not in the face not in the face not in the face maker wear a mask and yeah i mean it's like good quick good resolution batman
1: dual wielding his fists so
0: oh yeah on the roller coaster
1: well, I mean, that's cool. The panel, like, he jumps into their cart, grabs their gun, rises above them from behind, and just
0: pop. Well, no, he he doesn't even rise above them from behind. He's just, like, he's crouched on the fucking car behind them. Not not in the seat, like, on the front of the car. And the cape is just, like, has swallowed him, which is one of the other, like, great of Batman. Is, you know, just the, the... cape just covering him and you can't really tell what position he's standing in and then he just launches both fists and you tell he's been squatting there the whole time it's like he batman doesn't skip leg day
1: <laughs> which is why terry cruz should play batman
0: <laughs> watch me make batman's wings flap
1: <laughs> but yeah but then like this whole like he approaches riddler or riddler um scarecrow and scarecrow's like starting to feel a trifle uneasy nope i'm calm as a clam scarecrow a crawling on your skin batman fluttering in your belly mm, Uh-uh. <laughs> just kind <Nah>, like... of <laughs> nah bro i'm all right <laughs> <laughs> i'm mean, good in a way yeah it's kind of cool but you know it's it to me it just kind of contradicts what's the point
0: right right if he can just overcome it like that. I guess that's why Scarecrow switched back to gas. <laughs> right. It's like, wow, let's drug their asses. Little gas.
1: Weaponized.
0: You know where I stand with drugs. <laughs> that's right. I know where I stand with drugs. Weaponized yeah, I mean, why brown acid.
1: Why couldn't Batman have done this with the gas? Just... It just affects a different part of his brain that he doesn't have control over.
0: You know, while while the scarecrow is kind of a cool villain, it's like the the ways Batman comes up with to deal with him is always okay. He's got gas. Oh, it affected me this once, but you've already dosed me with it. I'm, you know, I've got bat immunity. Or, right. You know, I've like,
1: been taking doses of your fear toxin every day, micro doses of your fear toxin every day for a year. Right. Kind of thing.
0: Yeah, he actually did that once. Yes, he did. I continued. I kind of like it.
1: <laughs> now, there are plenty of
0: more. <laughs> I dose Robin, the- too, and we trip balls in the back. <laughs> Sometimes Alfred joins in. <laughs> Would you like some orange juice, sir? Uh-
1: I'm Harriet, who, by the way, is still around in all of this. Right. Well, she's mentioned. <laughs> um, Yeah, so there are a lot of these denny o'neill neil adams denny O'Neill, with other artists stories of mm-hmm. batman he like was the batman guy much like scott snyder is today right Danny o'neill was the batman guy because he got it he
0: did it really well right and he took a character that was on the chopping block and turned him property you know, so yeah batman.
1: and and really he did it by just mining what he what he knew Right. So it just, maybe it's like a perfect storm thing. So you have a guy who is a crime writer. He, he gets it from that angle. Right. Right. A realistic version of crime, not like, a, like if you or I were to come up with like some crime plot out of the air, because like I don't commit crimes much. And I don't, uh, <laughs> I'm not, if you asked me how I would go about robbing a bank, I would not know i point blank, I don't know. I have no idea how I would do it. I cannot confirm or deny. Okay, but Denny O'Neill, maybe he doesn't know how to rob a bank, but he knows a guy.
0: He's <laughs> written stories about guys that have robbed banks.
1: Exactly. So he can give you like a more realistic version of crime. Mm-hmm. So that's great. B, he's very well read in terms of like the old uh, Pulps um, comics, Penny Dreadfuls, right.
0: pulp's and classics, as we found out in the yeah. Green Arrows, it's a lot of classics. Well, yeah.
1: so, so you know he brings that to the table, and he 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 brings like the, the whole like noir, and um, you know there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes in here. Um, you know there's there's Doc Savage, um, the Shadow, shadow. Colic fucking Cthulhu's in there, you know H.P. Lovecraft, and and he just like melds it all together to create just this environment that's rich for storytelling and plopping um the dark knight detective in there. Right. Is perfect. It's just a perfect place for Batman to be.
0: Right, because that's that's really Batman's that that's his milieu, dark and crime-ridden, just dark and filled with crime and But and, it's not even like that. Right. It's he's not, not even... out on the, it's not like it's not like uh, Spider-Man who is like who catches bank robbers right after they rob the bank. It's, you know, Batman or Batman is the guy who they this person stole, you know, broke into this museum and stole one Fabergé egg. Why that particular egg? And and that's the type of crime that Batman solves. It's, it's a strange kind of crime right that, that he does. And it's one of those off the wall sort. I'm sure he's well read in a lot of the mystery Christine Hammett and Marlowe, uh, Chandler, Raymond Chandler, right. You know, so he's he's got this rich tradition uh, to to draw upon that really a lot of writers
1: don't. Well, I don't know if they have it to draw upon or not, but they they don't because now, and I, I mean now, comics are action movies. Um, you know, especially superhero comics. You know, they're emulating the movies that make a shit ton of money. Okay. You know. Batman Begins, uh, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises were huge movies. So, of course, Batman is going to be like that. Right. The Batman on paper is going to be like that, right? Mm -hmm. The fucking Avengers, right? Right. Why would you continue to write uh, these characters the way they've been written when you're making money hand over fist with these movies? That's true. A shit ton more comics if you have the same captain america that's in the avengers movies be in the comic books Mm -hmm. so um i mean if if you if you look at it that way it makes sense and it pisses me off um i think they should be separate um and well you know i can't stand superhero movies and this is one of the reasons why to be perfectly honest right right Uh, because they like have made comics unreadable well i mean mean,
0: you know But, on the other hand, you know, yeah, you're missing that part of the character, but the way Scott Snyder does it, apparently, does it well enough that Batman is, like, a consistently number one title.
1: Yeah, well, people like it, and, you know, I'm not gonna deny them that. I, you know, more power to them. I'm not gonna read it, though. Right. Uh, But, like, and I'll complain about it and tell you it's crap, but, I mean, if you like it, you do you. Right. You get a full of soup with that hat. Oh, but it looks good on you. <laughs> right. Now, I
0: would like to see, I would like to see something done the the more modern uh, comics where we do mystery that it takes weird because, I, and I think with the right person, you could do it, and it would still do as well because people still like the proceeding. I think if, if somebody came along and wrote around Batman, that it would probably... Is maybe, that what Gotham is supposed to be? There's no Batman in Gotham. Uh, Commissioner Gordon's Batman's a kid through. Start seeing him until they do a, like a little bit of a time jump, year one style. Batman barely. Yeah, that's my that's my thoughts on it. I think, and 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 perhaps perhaps it's not comics that should do it. Maybe somebody should write an actual Batman novel.
1: I'm sure they have those. Uh, I know I
0: there. I know there's a couple of them out there, but I, I think, think you get know.
1: yeah, Batman novel like this. I don't think this character is. I think we've we've gone past it.
0: You you think, think you've moved well, past Detective Batman. To
1: oh, the point most where of you couldn't revive him. Oh, he's just going to be a psycho. He is basically one step away from the criminals he puts being puts into Arkham like that. That's what they want and that's what they're going to get. Until the next thing comes along, you know, there's going to be another trend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'll happen and then then in 20 years, you'll have all the people who grew up on Scott Snyder Batman talking about the new Batman how, how it sucks <laughs> Where, where's 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 my where's Batman where's Batman uh, just thrashing the Joker within an inch of his life right, right. You know? Well,
0: <laughs> I, I know you can talk about Batman for like hours and hours and hours but we really do have to cut the episode so that's all we have for today ladies and gentlemen thanks for listening keep 30 luck points keep 30 bat luck <laughs> and we'll see you next time